1: Civilized man, took it in the guts, Barry. All
2: you've
0: got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Simple questions, through correct the answers, you doorway the Hi everybody, this is Annie for Showreel on 3CR Community Radio, just reminding you that we at 3CR are putting out the bigging bowl to keep on air online this year because of COVID-19. If you have some cash to throw our way for operating costs, go to 3cr.org.au. Now we have got rid of the filthy lycra stuff, uh, let's get to the art of film. Over the next few weeks, Showreel is going to be looking at this year's Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. The festival is running a virtual festival because of COVID, starting June the 30th to July 15th. The festival has been going for a number of years, you probably realise that, and last year it screened at Nova in Carton. Uh, oh, Just to just heads up on the Nova Carlton, it's going to be opening its doors again on June the 22nd. I don't know how they're going to be COVID compliant, but that's the news anyway. Getting back to MDFF, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, the festival shows local and overseas documentaries and prides itself on 40% local Australian shorts and features. This year, because of COVID, it is online, of course, and you can check the program, which is already up at their website. Uh, There is also online masterclasses, work a look. We're going to take a frame from the elusive MDFF film director, linden stone's film and concentrate on the filmmakers and their films rather than nattering on about the festival itself this week it's alex michael's more than a mile and joshua Fonte's the world's best movie melbourne's local documentary film festival is going online and nationwide from the 30th of june until the 15th of july Canvassing an eclectic range of documentaries from South by Southwest, Slam Dance, and Tribeca to music, video games, and true crime, with over 55% locally made in Melbourne and across Australia. Check it out at www.mdff.org.au. Prices start from $8 a stream. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. More Than A Mile chronicles Charlie's exploits as a middle field beer mile competitor. What is a beer mile? In a beer mile, competitors run four 400 metre stretches and chug a bottle of beer between stints. It's now an international event with competitors from Canada, USA and Australia with designs on Europe. The record is just under five minutes. Let's hear from Alex Michael, the director of More Than A Mile.
3: This is my first feature length. I've I um, studied media in high school. Got me de- that got me interested, and I went to Deakin for um, so the first stint of uh, my tertiary education. And I did yeah a, a degree and bachelor's degree in um, digital film and media. Um, I've been a media practitioner as a side hobby, a side hustle, while I've you know become a an, a, a teacher in um, in secondary education. Um, Over the last five or so years.
0: Very exciting to do a project though. I mean, take it all on board. So it's that process.
3: Uh, um, Yeah, it was the project itself just dumped itself on my lap. It just came out of absolutely nowhere. Um, Left field, because I've got a very. Uh, The protagonist of More Than Mile is a very close friend of mine, Um, and he is such an individual that it just made me believe that if I wanted to create a documentary about, uh, like, with him featuring, to explore ideas of athleticism, um, the beer mile, um, the current, you know, landscape of which beer mile and uh, the, you know, how it went viral and um, just the ups and downs of the perceptions of it. Um, as well as, you know, social and other other little um, crevices that the documentary kind of explores as well, um, he gave me the confidence, I suppose, to do that project.
0: How long have you been working on it?
3: The the idea Cracked came to mind mid-2014 and Charlie told me that, you know, I knew he was a runner. I didn't, I didn't really know how well, of, like how competent of a runner he was um, until he said he placed Top top ten in the Melbourne Marathon, not too like in 2014, and then he said he was going to on the weekend. He was going to go run a beer mile, and I saw him run a beer mile, and I was just floored by uh, just his ability. N- not, his, not just his drinking ability. Um, <laughs>
2: um
3: if you've seen the material, yeah, you yeah. probably know what I'm talking about. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surprised that that he can drink, but I'm surprised that he could drink and run, and then I'm surprised. Um, when he told me that his time qualified him to be, take part take part in what they call the world classic, which then um, was only hosted in america yeah he he qualified for that, which is just amazing and i was just like this is how is this a thing, and how is this I was still underground and, and between fourteen and fifteen it took off, and then between fifteen and when I and uh, when the documentary started uh, rolling in production in sixteen, the, the narrative just jumps on where it goes to an international level um, and um, going to London and having that global exposure was yeah just just a, a huge uh, huge thing to kind of consider.
0: I mean, it's kind of goofy. The whole thing's kind of goofy, uh, and it's quite oh, engrossing at the same time. Uh, what, there's a couple of things I wanted to to uh, sort of. Riff on one of the things that's really interesting about the film I found is the collegial, the uh, uh, friendliness, uh, uh, male society. It's a sort of an exploration of male society, really, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah. That that can that can be. Yeah, that's that's one thing. Like, it's such a just <laughs> before we go down it, I suppose it's such a shame that in Australia, it's, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a you know, negative connotation along with. Um, the beer myelin and there's not currently discovered any female um, athletes that are, you know, on that world-class level, um, which was a shame because I didn't come along for the journey. I'd love to do a sequel um, to do that, but um, ch- like Charlie and the, the beer mile community, it is so collegial. There's a statement um, that was made at the very end of the documentary how um you know uh, one of the organizers um who are a part of the BMR World Classic um i think Nick Mcfalls the narrator he kind of states that he you know he's in a very dark place around the time um that uh his friend was um at the time that that happened um and the BMR was just something he could look forward to something big can hang his hat on, some, something that he knew was at the end of the tunnel. Uh, like I had no idea how tightly knit running communities can be when it comes to goal setting and after and post training. And, you know, it's something that, you know, being part of the documentary i got to explore, but it's, it is goofy and I, I think it attracts, and it kind of makes a statement about the audience, I suppose, um, that this is kind of meant for and, and maybe a secondary audience is that kind of um, that co- that that buddy um, buddy cop comedy kind of you know people that would love to just laugh at um, you know teen stoner comedies um, coming of age stories that that it just has just embarrassing and cringeworthy um, or just just plain misunderstood.
0: You've you put in some rather nice touches around Charlie's character too. Because he is a bit like a um, a a lost soul in a funny kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like not a lost soul, but but a young a, a young boy in a, a man's body, or, or, you know. And so he's reminiscing about the running that they used to do when he was a kid. So running is this very important element in his life, which is, I mean, if you if you've never been an athletics person. Except, you know, seeing Little Athletics when you're a kid. This is kind of uh, uh, fascinating in a funny kind of way.
3: Where the documentary goes, it's really who Charlie is. You know, pre, pre-documentary and, you know, Charlie growing up, he's always ran and he's ran ridiculously long lengths. His family is runners. his, his family friends. Um, huge web of um, people um, that care about Charlie. They're runners. Um, it, we grew up in northeast Victoria, um, you know, and during our childhood, I suppose, you know, athletics and everything, it, it just, it formed his identity. You know, he's not a big-bodied soul. He's not a huge guy. He can't he, He's not seen as a football footballer. Um, and just athletics, I suppose, um, helped form who he is and, he, and you say lost soul and that's so funny because i just you know me and my, my my wife and our friends you know sometimes we just say that because charlie he ends up being where he needs to be exactly where he needs to be there um he's he's a post you know uh post documentary he's gone on to live in london so um and he's been there for multiple years now because um, he's got a dual citizenship there. But he's, um, I think, the documentary. It, it's a bit of a statement about yeah how he's. Uh, I'd like to think he grew up during that process. <laughs> he might argue the uh, the differ, but it, yeah, the um, he and he done it for both of us. You know, we both had to, you know, kind of um, on both sides of obviously the camera. Um, me producing and directing it, and him just—I think—just developing as a character. There's very little direction that I gave him, um, um, and so it's a bit of a uh, yeah. It's 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 a statement to see his character progression as the, uh, the 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 documentary kind of unfolds. I mean,
0: there's a certain there's a certain um, almost um, uh, Monty Python-ish element to this, um, but it's actually quite tight. Mm. The film's quite tight. I mean, it's quite laconic, but it's and it's quite tight at the same time. Did you do a lot of shoot? Was there a lot of footage that you had uh, in order to meld it into the film?
3: There's there's hours, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's hours of footage. Um, It it really like I think I shaved. I reckon I shaved half an hour off the film since the first test screening, uh, just because. And and the test screening is. it, it, I, I knew it wasn't going to be a a good um test like i suppose for when just when it comes to the audience itself because who turned up to the test screening they're all family friends and friends of charlie and and some 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 other um on um people that caught wind of it um but they were laughing at the whole thing. Um, And they, yeah, at that whole Monty Python kind of goofiness and they're just laughing at everything that he would say and everything he would do. And I found it it really hard to um, uh, kind of edit down. So I had to have private viewings. I had to do um, a lot of work.
0: In some regards, uh, putting a film together of this sort, uh, the thinking time is as important as the doing time. Did you find that?
3: (laughs) It's probably equal parts. When you get to, like, thinking time and doing time, like I'm weighing it up in the head, um, in my head, how long i sat on it i have to say and the narration um i ended up cuz that was never it was it was kind of planned to talk to multiple of the like the three key founders of the BMR like i wanted to hear from both like all three of them individually um and then after meeting them in london um i made the call uh, um on on the fly that nick the, the, the key, um, figure and, uh, oh yeah, the, the, I suppose when it comes to the face of the beer mile, um, or the world classic, sorry, and the organizers, I had to make the conscious decision. He was like, okay, you're going to be the guy you're, you know, he's, he's well-spoken. He's, um, he's, he's eloquent He's funny. Uh, he's in San Francisco, which is where I knew, um, some of my, uh, I did exchange in America, um, Uh, I had um, some guys that have their own production company over there. Um, I can send them there to do that. And then I was like, well, if I'm just going to get an interview off him, um, I might as well just ask him uh, just this range of questions and look for his response. And it was kind of, it wasn't a Hail Mary, but I was thinking if this can work, um, this will help pace the film. Um, this which is one of the one of the things when you talk about the length of the the, the documentary and the engagement um, of it I, I was a little bit wary of I suppose um, it's a long documentary um, it's a longer documentary I suppose and and I am um, yeah I, I just threw caution to the wind. I was like hopefully Nick gives me enough gold um, in those responses um, to help support um, the stories that I'm trying to tell and um, yeah he he hit home. He's. Um, I, I don't think he's actually seen the whole thing, um, which was, um, which is, yeah. Once it gets, once it gets internationally um, um, uh, distributed, or maybe another film festival, or I'll ended up just distributing it online. Um, he can watch it all.
2: Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical community owned media during our June Station Appeal.
1: We'll be taking donations online to help keep the station going for another year. Like so many community organisations, we're feeling the impact of COVID 19 restrictions, and we know you are too.
2: But independent community media is more important than ever, and we hope you can show your support with a donation.
1: The 3CR Station Appeal starts on Monday, the 1st of June. To
0: donate,
2: go to 3cr.org.au. 3CR, here to stay.
0: You're on showreel with Annie profiling some of the films at this year's Melbourne Documentary Film Festival starting online June the 30th and going to July 15th. Joshua Belafonte's film, The World's Best Movie, is a delightful exploration of life's journey. Let's hear from Josh. G'day, Josh. It's Annie McLaughlin here. How are you? Hey, good. How are you good. doing? Congratulations on uh, getting uh, into the Revelations Film Festival.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. I'm super, super excited about
0: that. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your film. How long have you been working on that film?
2: It's a really great question. It all began about six years ago, so it's been a really long journey.
0: <laughs> I could see that because it's, um, because it's quite uh, lyrical, your film.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for pointing that out. Um, it was really important to me that kind of a lot of scenes mirror each other and have a lot of good things you know to say from people from all different walks of life diversity um and you know genders and that was really important to me really early on in the piece yeah
0: okay so is this your first film
2: yes this is actually my first uh feature film so it is my debut documentary i've obviously made lots of different short films over the years that have screened all over the world And I've worked a lot in television for networks like the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, SBS and stuff like that. But this is my first major foray into directing. Ah,
0: exciting. Yeah, I'm thrilled. (laughs) Now, it seems to me that uh, you may or may not have had a script. You may have had an outline. So it
2: was really important to me that the film really happened organically. A lot of my methodology is arriving in a country and starting to ask questions to people around me, going and of going, who's doing interesting things in this place? I want to meet them and kind of just going from there. So a lot of it is actually just throwing myself in the deep end in sometimes hilarious and uncomfortable situations where I might not speak the local language and I might not know some local customs um, and really trying to find the heart of the story that way. I obviously had a, an outline in my head of the kinds of people that I wanted to speak to on the journey. And, you know, it it, it dawned on me throughout that process that a lot of the people that I was meeting, they had some personal connections to my own life. And that really came out through the editing process. But sometimes I was definitely aware of it, um, you know, in the thick of it. And I can talk a little bit about, you know, the the kinds of people we meet on this journey. And, uh, you know, it took me to places like Bangkok, Stockholm, uh, all, all across Romania, Poland. And, you know, some of these people... Had, had done things that I'd done in my life. And that was really fascinating for me to kind of unearth the reasons why I was telling these people's stories.
0: You know, one of the things that's most fascinating, there's a lot of things that are fascinating about your film to me. Uh, one of them is that you're actually from, you're, you're, you're born in Australia, brought up in Australia, but your parents are and your grandparents particularly uh, came from Poland and were escaping the uh, carry-on there, which is a very mild way of describing what was going mm. on during the Second World War for people of their sort. Um, so it, it, the you've got a very cosmopolitan attitude to the world, which uh, is a very exciting and interesting... Uh, you have an ease with uh, people from other countries and other languages That is quite sophisticated.
2: Thank you so much. Um, That really means a lot. Um, Yeah, I mean, very early on, like growing up in an immigrant family, I was always told from an early age that, you know, I had to pursue something, an honest living that put bread on the table. So it was very, it was looking out to the world and, and being thankful for what we have. And I think that very much gave me a perspective of being aware of the fact that everyone is fighting a different battle and we're not all entirely aware of what those stories are. So whenever I meet people, I definitely try and have an open mind. I try and learn some of the local languages and customs wherever possible. Sometimes, like when I was filming in Thailand, um, I didn't speak a lick of Thai. I did. I did attend some local language classes, um, but I was completely in the deep end, and I was really telling a story there on um, reading body language and tone, um, which was a completely other other experience from say, uh, making a film in Sweden, where I do speak some of the language, and I was aware of some of the nuances in that culture. And and I I knew, so to speak, how to how to tread carefully in certain instances. Um, But yeah, no, thank you so much for saying that. I think I I definitely um, view my place in the world as, you know, you you act local, think global. And and, and I'm very aware of my place in that. And I think coming from a, a family that were refugees and were fleeing war, I am aware of Everyone's different journeys in that way.
0: Yeah, well, and it's also uh, the fabric of your film seems to be your sunny personality.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think um, it, it did dawn on me uh, throughout that the reasons why these people were interesting to me was was because of you know uh, my own story as well, and I realised that I definitely needed to provide the context of why I was talking to some of these people, for example. There was a a man I met in Romania again by just arriving in the country and asking someone, who's doing something really weird and wonderful in this place? And then I found out that this person was a Gothic tailor who had a really interesting history. And my grandparents were were tailors and were in the clothing business. So I felt I had a very deep connection with him immediately upon meeting him. And I think he felt it too. And we, we ended up having speaking for hours about theology and philosophy and all all different kinds of things and it was it was a really fascinating deep dive yeah
0: he's a he's a deep and meaningful guy that was really fascinating that's the thing all the people that you speak to are are really different from each other and you've got a a, as you say your ability to uh, provide context is a great boon to the audience I, I, I was really fascinated by it um, and it's very touching as well the way you ultimately come back to your family with a new understanding
2: yeah thank you so much and again that was another thing that happened really serendipitously it was one day in January last year I opened a cupboard and I found all these tapes that my dad had filmed over the years and I said dad what is this and he said oh I think it's you know videos of you as a child and I thought well That might be really interesting to look at. And when I started looking through this footage, I found these just insane links between what I was filming in my movie and what I was doing as a child. And it really just started making me think all about this central idea of reconnecting with what it was that I wanted to do as a kid. And for me, that was making films. And I became more interested in, you know, what are the things that people are doing all over the world that they've been putting off? What are the passions they want to pursue that maybe someone told them that they couldn't do or they shouldn't do? And so for me that was making films and this is the result.
0: It's a very kooky but very lovely film. It's a lovely film.
2: (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) And I'm not surprised it's been, um, it's not just showing at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival but it's got legs and is now going to be shown in Perth as well. So um, thanks very much for talking to me. Is there anything else you want to share uh, that I haven't asked you about?
3: Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, I could tell you, um, you know, a little bit about my journey in, in making the film and how it Go all began. Go on, tell um, me. Began, tell me. If yeah, liked. I'd love to. Yeah, well, I guess, so the film really all began in 2014 when I was studying to become a lawyer, actually, and I received a phone call that changed my life. I was told that I was quite ill and I had a rare illness and that I need to stop everything that I was doing and call an ambulance. And it was a pretty shocking moment uh, where I kind of realized that, what am I going to do, do now? And if I do get a second chance, what will that be? And I started thinking about all the stories I wanted to tell and all the times I wanted to go back to Europe and meet some friends there. And, and, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be a great idea if I could incrementally make a film over a period of time if I get that second chance? So I really hope that people who watch the film, that they start to think about, you know, what are the things in my life that, that I'd like to do? And what are the things I've been putting off? And I'm actually really interested to hear from people as well, if they think they're the world's best at something. And I think it's important that they know that they don't need to be the Guinness World Records best of, of, of whatever they're doing. It can be enough that they just affirm it within themselves and then set themselves on that journey.
0: Also. Awesome. I'll have to say thank you very much for the gift of meeting uh, your Ertzat grandfather. That was just so nice.
2: Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, look, I've always been blown away by um, the story of 94-year-old Kurt Fuchs. And he was of the same generation as my grandparents. And obviously, I have so many questions for my grandparents who are sadly no longer with us. It became a way of me talking to my grandparents' generation and a lot of the stories he told um were just out of this world. And I actually just wanted to convey the message of someone from that generation moving on in a quite funny way. Um and, and just showing that there is life after tragedy. There is something over the horizon to look forward to. And I think that's really relevant now more than ever because we are living in this pandemic where everyone's in lockdown and everyone's being told, you know, now's the time to pick up that new passion or hobby. It's also okay to to reflect and 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 work out where you've come from but i hope that that gives some people some strength to kind of look towards the horizon and see you know what it is that they want to spend their time doing when we all go back to normal and inverted commas
0: Uh, the other thing of course i suppose is that ultimately the film is about the past present and the future and how they meld together i mean that's one of the elements isn't it
2: yeah absolutely yeah yeah, time is is really um, an interesting thing in the film, and and more and more in the editing process, I realised it was making decisions based on a feeling and, and a tone and and a flow, rather than oh this happened in 2014, so it has to happen here, and this happened in 2015, so it has to happen there. It becomes more about following an emotional thread and working out where the emotional resonance is of each scene. And sometimes it's showing a very serious moment next to a very comedic moment. And there can be something in that that can be quite striking and interesting for audiences, at least in my mind. And I hope I hope that they think so too. Yeah, yeah.
0: you're a complicated filmmaker. So what are you going to do next?
2: <laughs> what am I going to do next? Well, right now, I'm very much focusing on just following through and getting the film out there to as many different people as I can. I'm really looking at festivals and, um, other platforms. I'm also developing lots of really exciting projects, which I'm hoping to announce as soon as the pandemic is, you know, <laughs> ugly head. and I'm just focusing, you know, I'm just focusing on being a better practitioner and making better films and also building a, a strong community around my projects that I can bring everyone along with me, um, and really just champion our own stories and, and get those into the world. And, You know, help make some kind of difference or contribute to something. Yeah,
0: yeah, well um, I'm keen to see what you do next because it was very interesting and very individual.
2: Thank you so much
0: Annie Mm, I enjoyed it. Thanks for talking
2: to me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: That's it for Showreel this week. Tune in next week for more delights from the MDFF, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival or go to our podcast to listen to past episodes. Until next week bye for now.
1: Next to an no, but used use this down to your buns. And before I knew I had shiny skin and I felt easy being clean like him, I thought this one knows better than I do. A triangle trying to squeeze through a circle. He tried to cut me so I'd fit. And doesn't that sound familiar? Close to home Doesn't that make you sure The way things could have gone spoke like the scene, she told me, don't trust them, trust me Then she pulled in my stitches one by one Looked at my insides, clicking her tongue And said, this will all have to come undone A triangle trying to squeeze through a circle She tried to blunt me so I'd fit Doesn't that make you shiver? Although my old self was hard to find, you can bathe me in your finest wine, but I'll never give you mine. Cause I'm a little bit tired of fearing that I'll be the bad fruit nobody buys. Tell me, did you think we'd all dream the same? Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that hit you close to home? Doesn't that make you shiver the way things could have gone? And doesn't it feel peculiar when everyone wants a little more so that I do remember to never go that far?